everybody and welcome to Good Stuff Happens, the podcast where we talk about happy news, warm memories, and meaningful art of all kinds, brought to you each week by a new guest with a new perspective. Today on our show, Stephen Flowers. My name is Stephen Flowers. I'm 27, 150 pounds from Maryland. I am a comedian. Check out my blog, travelingwithsteve.com. Updated every six months. Check out my Instagram. It's all selfies at Stephen Russell. Stephen saying he's a comic doesn't quite do him justice. He's easily one of the funniest people I know, and the amount of videos I have of him doing something funny is astounding. Putting a pan on his head and pretending it's a hat, squeezing bottle caps in his eyes and dancing like a pirate, running at a tree and jumping up to climb it. Stephen lives to experiment and make jokes many at his own expense, to make the people around him laugh. And I've laughed a lot because of him. I asked Steven to share a piece of positive news he found, but first, here's his unprepared answer to me asking him about his favorite part of the week, notably recorded in pre-quarantine times. Oh, I didn't prepare for this. Uh, when this week starts Sunday? When do we have that meeting? Oh, I'm gonna go back to Saturday when we went to the beach with our improv team. You were there, a really good time, fun to get all those people together, drank and hung out at the beach and it was made, made some fun memories, met some real weirdos, we were local weirdos, good time. So uh, this uh, news story is actually reported by a friend of ours named Laura Smith, who's a up and coming reporter for STV News in Scotland. It's actually pretty cool. She just started working as a reporter maybe maybe a year ago now, and this was kind of her first big story. And I think it went kind of viral, like picked up by a couple of different outlets and stuff. So I think it was a big deal for her. And it's a cool story. So the story is that a elderly couple, uh, Bill Duncan, 71, and his wife, Anne, 69, uh, they've been married for 18 years, and now Bill has dementia. So he doesn't remember much, including the fact that they were married. But one day he asked her to marry him again. And he said, he asked if she would marry him. And she was like, are you asking if you want to be with me? And he was like, yeah, I want to be with you forever. They had like just gone to a friend's wedding and he was like touched by it. And he asked her if she wanted to marry him. She thought he'd just forget. But then he was like, it, it like stuck with him. So then they had a second wedding. And it was uh, really, really nice. You can watch a whole news story reported by Laura. The couple even danced to the same song they had at their first wedding and are still very much in the honeymoon period. As we record, Stephen tells me that instead of bringing in one memory to discuss, he's prepared three of them, little vignettes. As you'll see, they're goofy and unconstrained, fitting for the man who will occasionally throw peanuts into his mouth and purposely miss. The first is when I was in high school, and it was over the summer, and this is a real summer-like, adventure story. I don't know where I got this idea from, but I decided that I was going to make a slip and slide in my backyard. We had this real like 
kind of low grade uh, hill in my backyard. My parents were out of town, so my grandma was there. I don't, that's not really relevant to the story, but it is funny that my grandma was there for this. So I went to Home Depot and I got a bunch of plastic sheeting. I just like laid it out on the hill and I got the hose and I got a bunch of dish soap to like lube it up. And then I just invited everyone I knew and I was like, hey, I've set up a slip and slide in my backyard. Come on over if you feel like it. And so <laughs> I don't know where I got this idea from, but it worked pretty well. Like uh, it was a really totally legit slip and slide. It probably was like 50 feet long or something. It wasn't huge or anything, but it was very fun. You could totally slide down it. I had no idea if it would work. So a few of my friends showed up and we started going down it. It was a lot of fun. And then like more and more people started showing up to the point where it was like people who I like outside of my close circle of friends. So then it felt like really cool because I felt like I was hosting this sick, awesome summer party. People showed up with like pool toys and like floaties and stuff so we could go down on those. And then we started doing trains and we'd send multiple people down at once. Honestly, it's a good thing my dad wasn't there because it was all mud. It was just a big mud pit at the bottom of the slip and slide by the end. So you would go and you'd finish the slip and slide and then go for another like 10 feet just on mud. And then at some point, it devolved into mud wrestling at the bottom of the slip and slide. Just everybody just literally like sliding into each other, wrestling in the mud. And then at the end of it, we went to McDonald's. And that's the point where I remember like sitting there in the McDonald's in the aftermath of this four hours of fun in the sun and this incredibly successful social event that I engineered. And it was just this real sense of like, man, everything is great. Everything in life is good. This is awesome. Try to set up the slip inside again next year. It was weird. There were a bunch of underground bees at the bottom of it and they started stinging everybody. Didn't know that existed. People started getting stung within like an hour and there was just a swarm of bees that came out of the ground and started stinging everybody. So the next year wasn't quite as, as much of a success. <laughs> so, that was that. Memory number two. This was fourth year of college. I was hanging out with some of my close friends, and we started by going to this girl's house named Allison, who I used to do this thing at like fourth year of college that I did with you sometimes. We'd done it together. It was a bit where you would try to steal people's stuff by putting it in your jacket. <laughs> so was, we were hanging out in the kitchen at her house, and she had like a bunch of friends who I didn't know. She was, we knew like a good, we were like really good friends with like her best friend. So we were hanging out with her mainly. And so I was just taking like her kitchen appliances and putting it in my jacket and like pretending to try to steal it. She was not having it. <laughs> she was just like, okay, put that back. <laughs> we thought it was hilarious, obviously. And then that kind of characterized the rest of the night because after that we went to the crew house, the house that the UVA club crew team had, which is just like, they have these like ratchet ass parties that spill out in their lawn and anybody can go. And just like since first year of college, it had been like the place you go when you have nowhere else to go because anybody can go and get a drink there. And it's just like you don't know anybody. And I think that kind of lended itself to like this feeling of we were just going to go there and fuck around. So I spent a lot of this party going up to people on the dance floor. I would take off my jacket and I would find two people dancing. And my goal was to get them to try on my jacket. This was a lot of jacket-based hijinks at this party I don't, <laughs> this whole night. And so I'd go stand up behind the guy. I remember like this guy who was dancing with this girl. And I walked up behind and I was like, hey, man, you need my jacket? Go ahead and put my jacket on. Put my jacket on. He was like, what? And just through the power of suggestion, I just got to like, go ahead and put in one. Just come on, go one sleeve, try it on. And I would just suggest this guy. And he put on my whole jacket. He put the whole thing on and started wearing my jacket while he was dancing with this girl. <laughs> just so crazy. So I did that to a couple other people on the dance floor, just to try to get them to put on my jacket. Because the problem is, because then I had to get them to take my jacket off, because I need my jacket back. 
So I had to, you know, kind of go through the same process, but he was probably happy to get rid of it. Later on in the party, I met this girl and I, I zipped her up inside my jacket, like with me in it, like that put the zipper around both of us and zipped it up. And there's this picture of her like cracking up. And then later there's this guy playing guitar and singing. And my friends asked him if I could rap Lose Yourself. And that's really what puts this night over the top because Lose Yourself is my favorite song. I know all the words. I take a lot of pride in it. So it's like a dream come true because the guy was like, yeah, sure. And my friend told him the chords and I got up there and I rapped it. It's like this outdoor college party. And in my memory, everyone's really into it. I have no idea if they actually were, but I did remember all the words. Super huge highlight. And then when I remember about this one, like the feeling of like giddy happiness was at some point I went back to Allison's house. I don't know why. Maybe I left something there. I don't know. Maybe I wanted to steal something. But I I go inside, it's like just me. I don't know where my friends are. And it's like Allison and like her like other friends. And they all just look at me. I'm just like, oh, uh, hey guys, what's going on? And I like describe my whole night. I definitely made a complete ass of myself and made myself look like an idiot. But I remember like this distinct feeling of everything's great. Things are going great. I'm just gonna happily share my night with these people who did not appreciate it. And probably talked a bunch of shit about me after I left for good reason. Anyway, that was a great night. Okay, third story and final one. Uh, About two years ago when I was moving to L.A., I went on this camping trip for a weekend at Kings Canyon National Park. It's like a few hours north of here. Went to this place called Pear Lake. And it was with a good friend of mine from high school, two, two good friends from high school, and then like four friends of hers So I really didn't know that well. So we were just camping out the first night. Uh, we really didn't hike anywhere, just at a campground. And one thing I remember is this girl brought her ukulele, and she was playing the ukulele, and it was dark, and it was like midnight, and it was at this campground. And she was just one of those people who has a ukulele and wants to play it and sing and get everyone to sing a song. So that was the first night. And then the second night, we hiked up to the actual lake. It's really beautiful jumped in a little bit. And then we just like cooked and set up camp and started drinking. We were definitely the more annoying, rambunctious campsite. I'm starting to realize now how many of these stories just make me sound like an obnoxious douchebag (laughs) who annoys people. (laughs) But through a combination of, you know, not a combination, mainly just from drinking, being noisy didn't really bother me that much. There was a lot of ukulele playing. I remember like Loving This Club was the main song that was played a lot. Now I forever associate that song with this trip. And then we had a bottle of whiskey. And so I was like, hey, let's pass this around till we finish it. And I was joking. But then we did. Uh, and then everyone got completely, absolutely hammered and don't remember a lot of the night. But what I do remember is the next morning we woke up. Weirdly, nobody was really hungover. It was kind of this magical thing. And the whole next day was just this distinct feeling of we've had this special, super fun experience. And that like we created like this very strong, very special bond. Also, one funny thing is the ukulele had blood on it in the morning and nobody knew why. <laughs> just had blood on the ukulele. No one can remember how it got there. That was just a very, like, singularly fun night. Oh, my friend hooked up with a French guy named Romeo. Steven sits there for a moment, pondering the stories he's told me. I almost think he's going to crack a joke, but he doesn't. I find there's little more compelling than a comedian reflecting on the oddities of their own world. I was trying to figure out why I felt such a distinct, kind of unique sense of happiness from those particular events, because they were all different, but I felt a full body sense of happiness and like contentment. And it's a very distinct feeling, and I haven't felt it too much in my life. 
One thing they had in common, obviously, was hanging out with friends. That's kind of obvious. They also all had an element of, like, social disobedience a little bit to them. Like, it always felt like we were doing something that was outside the norm and, like, different. That kind of separated, like, our group from the rest of typical society. Like, it felt like we were doing something that was a little bit different and outside the norm. And then the main sense that I felt after each one was not just happiness, but, like, a sense of, like, our bond and how we felt about each other. And, like, it was a very special thing and that we could always remember it kind of for the rest of our lives. And I'll add one more thing, because I think Stephen is too humble to say it himself. His stories and how memorable they are for the people involved are in large part due to him and his immutable desire to share his life with other people. A joke, a song, a slip and slide, a night by the lake, even a jacket. He does these things because it brings as much joy to him as it does to those around him, including myself. Stephen leaves me with one last memory of his night by the lake, of a circle of friends, new and old, indelibly linked by a night in the woods and a bottle of whiskey around a fire. One thing I remember the ukulele girl said, and it just made me appreciate it in a way that I didn't before, and it's something that I kind of wish, or I kind of want to appreciate more during experiences like that. I remember her saying, you know, there's no other place I'd rather be or a thing I'd rather be doing than being right here, right now, with you guys. We close today's episode with a music composition that Stephen holds dear and is a personal favorite of mine as well. The artistic work I chose to bring in today is from a movie that we both love, Lord of the Rings. Uh, It's called The Breaking of the Fellowship. In my opinion, it's the best single. I mean, it's a movie with obviously one of the best scores, if not the best of all time. And I think this is probably the strongest piece from it. It plays at the end of the first movie when Frodo is trying to row away across the river to leave the fellowship because he feels guilty and he's trying to leave and go off by himself and Sam goes after him. This is the part where Sam runs into the river and Frodo's like, he's like, I'm going to Mordor alone. And Sam goes, of course you are. And I'm going with you. And then Sam runs in and Frodo's like, Sam, you can't swim. <laughs> he almost drowns and Frodo pulls him out. It's this really great seed. It's honestly such a beautiful, even from like the very absolute first note this beautiful clear note and it just instantly brings you like this sense of peace and then like these other chords come in and it's just so perfect and it's just incredibly beautiful and every time I listen to it I've listened to it hundreds of times to the point where I can remember like almost the whole scene while listening to it nothing else that will bring me the sense of just peace honestly when I listen to it it's just so absolutely like rapturously beautiful Honestly, every time I watch the scene now, it's, <laughs> I watch the scene and I'm like, this is great, but I wish the music were louder, honestly. Like, it just, like, the music's too quiet when you actually watch the actual scene. You can't hear how beautiful it is. I saw the Fellowship of the Ring live. They play the live music while you watch the movie. The other part that I like besides the very beginning is the end right at the cut to credits. This is the part where Sam and Frodo are, like, looking out over Mordor, and they're like, Mordor. 
the one place in the world we don't want to be, but the one place we have to go or something like that. And then Frodo's like, I'm glad you're with me, Sam. And then they go off and it kind of pans out. And then it's just like the best cut to credits of all time. It just like goes to black, directed by Peter Jackson. It's got like this boys choir doing the main theme from The Shire. And it's just the most impactful, cool cut to credits of all time. I like teared up while I was watching it. It was just so beautiful. It was amazing. Thanks so much for listening to Good Stuff Happens. I've been your host, Josh Bressler. A massive shout out to Stephen Flowers for lending us his memories and hijinks. Thanks to Connor Garrison for our intro and outro music and to Blue Dot Sessions for additional score. Thanks again for tuning in. And just a reminder that otters hold hands while sleeping to keep from floating away from each other. And that's amazing. 